everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We are at the Tuesday morning of a new holiday weekend. This is the first time that the Juneteenth federal holiday has been celebrated here in the United States. We have kind of a mishmash of numbers. Some studios reported final numbers yesterday. Some studios didn't. We don't have estimated numbers for Monday as I'm doing the show here on Monday night just yet. So it's not quite what we'll see from a lot of the holidays because, you know, it's a new one. We don't really have the standards and practices out for it just yet. But we have a lot to talk about. We have the opening of Lightyear, which was not what a lot of people thought it would be. The continuing success of Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World Dominion. So much to get to before I get to any of that, though, I want to thank, as always, my partner here on the show, Carbon Health. Carbon Health and I are great partners because we both believe in what the other one is doing. They love to partner with creative communities that are positive, and I like to think that we run a pretty positive community here. And I love partnering with them because they are invested in a mission that I care about, which is to make healthcare as accessible and affordable as possible. Carbon Health provides a lot of services. If you are in California, a lot of their clinics provide primary care services. They also do COVID testing if you're on the road and you need a test or you need one in order to go overseas and you need a COVID test for those purposes. You can also download the Carbon Health app where you can get urgent care needs, whether you want to go in person or book a virtual appointment. So thank you, as always, to Carbon Health for being my partner here on the show. And let's look at the weekend box office, which definitely held a lot of surprises, uh, even for me. I thought I knew how this box office weekend was going to go. I was way off, as they would say in Dumb and Dumber. Surprisingly, the number one movie for the second week in a row is Jurassic World Dominion, which had a drop off of around 60% with an estimated, this is one of the things I don't have a final number for, estimated $58.6 million over its second three-day weekend. That 60% drop is actually almost identical to the drop that Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom had in its second weekend, and Jurassic World Dominion also opened really close to the opening number for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So if this continues, uh, this basically close to identical performance for both movies, then we should be looking at a final for Jurassic World Dominion somewhere in the low 400 million range, although if it drops off quicker or holds better than expected, then that can fluctuate up and down. But we're starting to get kind of a peek at what the final picture may be for this film. But the big headline this past weekend was the performance of Pixar's Lightyear. It was the first Pixar film to open in theaters since 2020, and it came in far below expectations. This is one of the movies we did have a final number for. For the three-day weekend, $50,577,961. We'll see what it has added on Monday, but that is coming off of a projection for some people saying up to $85 million or higher, so way off what was expected. So I guess the first question would be, why were expectations on Lightyear so high? I've said a lot of times with these movies that sometimes I don't think that the expectations are fair because they just seem random, people kind of pulling them out of nowhere. Here, though, I think that the expectation was actually pretty fair because when we look at the top five Pixar openings, you can see that Incredibles 2, Finding Dory, I don't think that anybody expected it to open around that range, but we see Toy Story 4. That movie opened almost exactly three years ago. It opened to $120.9 million dollars. Toy Story 3 is the fourth highest uh, opening film in Pixar history. And then Inside Out with $90 million at number five. And so I think that that expectation around $85 million, you're shedding about a third of the audience 
for Toy Story 4, which I think is fair for a spin-off of the franchise, but not another installment necessarily in the Toy Story franchise. And then even to put it below a movie like Inside Out, which was an original Disney film, I think when you combine the known IP of Lightyear, you take off some because it's not a Toy Story 5. I actually don't think that $85 million was an unreasonable expectation to set. When you look at that number, that $85 million projection, that would have put Lightyear in the top six if it overperformed, maybe even sinking into that top five opening for Pixar. Instead, Lightyear was the sixth lowest opening weekend for Pixar. And when you look at it by attendance, we've been doing this by the bits index, the butts in the seat index. When you look at it by attendance, it gets even worse. These are the bottom five Pixar first weekends by attendance. And I say first weekends because some of these movies did not open on Friday. We'll talk about that in a second. So these are the first full three-day weekends for Pixar. When you look at it by attendance, you see that Onward had the lowest, which is not that surprising considering that it opened less than two weeks before theaters completely shut down for the COVID-19 pandemic. People were already staying away from the movie theaters. The Good Dinosaur had the second lowest opening weekend by attendance with 4.6 million. Then you see Lightyear with an estimated attendance of around 5.1 million. Then Coco at 5.6 million and Cars 3 at 5.9 million. But unfortunately, the news gets even worse for Lightyear because there are some caveats to add. I mentioned you had the COVID-19 issue uh, with Onward and the fact that that depressed turnout. When you look at the Good Dinosaur, and also Coco, those movies did not open on Friday. Those movies both opened around the Thanksgiving holiday. They opened on Wednesday. So that three-day opening weekend number is actually not inclusive of the two days worth of attendance that the movie already had under its belt. And so when you look at Pixar as far as pure three-day openings, movies that opened on Friday, through Sunday, those were their first three days. Lightyear actually has the second worst Pixar attendance for a pure three-day opening. Onward is still at the bottom, even though you have to add that caveat about the pandemic. Then Lightyear with 5.1 million. Cars 3, another summer release, actually pretty much the same weekend with 5.9 million. That's a jump of about 800,000. Then you jump up almost a million for Ratatouille, which was another summer film, which had an opening weekend attendance of around 6.8 million. And then a big jump to Brave, another summer movie from Pixar and an original IP with an attendance of 8.3 million. So we see even some big jumps in this, this bottom five, and it's really a bottom five by numbers only. But the pandemic, strangely, we'll talk about this, some of the damage that it might have done to the box office for Lightyear, but the pandemic may also have been the movie that kept it out of the bottom spot for Pixar's worst attended three-day opening weekend, pure opening weekend ever. When we look at the Toy Story franchise, and I include Lightyear as part of it, you see that Toy Story 4 has the highest opening weekend, and this is first wide weekends because Toy Story 2 had a weekend in limited release, so this is when it opened uh, to theaters nationwide. Toy Story 4 is the highest grossing Toy Story release with $120.9 million, followed by Toy Story 3 with $110.3, Toy Story 2 with $57.3 million. Keep in mind that is not adjusted for inflation. Then Lightyear will go down in the record books as number 4 with 50 5 million, and then the original Toy Story with 29.1 million. Again, that is unadjusted $1995. That's why you have to add context to all of these record books, which is what we're going to do now because this is what happens when you look at it by attendance. So this is Toy Story franchise in their first weekend, the first wide weekend opening Friday through Sunday. 
You see 13.9 million people attending the opening weekend of Toy Story 3, 13.4 million attending the opening weekend of Toy Story 4, 11.2 million attending the Friday through Sunday opening of Toy Story 2, keeping in mind that that movie opened on Wednesday, so that's not inclusive of those numbers. The first Toy Story movie back in 1995, its first Friday through Sunday had an attendance of 6.6 million. Again, that movie also opening on Wednesday, so that would have been even higher had it not opened earlier in the week. And then you see Lightyear uh, fairly largely behind with an opening weekend attendance of 5.1 million. So this is the context really with Lightyear is... It doesn't look great because it came in under expectations. When you look at it in context of attendance, it looks even worse. So now the big question comes, and I'm sure it's something that's been echoing around the halls of Disney and Pixar these last few days, what happened? And I think that it was a confluence of a lot of different things. The first one being confusion. I think that there were some people that were genuinely confused by what the premise of this movie was. I know that Disney tried to get the messaging out that this isn't about the toy Buzz Lightyear. This is about the movie that that the character Andy in the Toy Story franchise saw that inspired him to want the Buzz Lightyear toy. So it's really a movie within a movie universe. But you have to be able to message these things effectively. I don't think Disney did that from the beginning. And ever since then, they were kind of running from behind. So I I think that was part of it. People didn't understand what it was, why it didn't look like the Toy Story films, why Tim Allen wasn't voicing the lead character. I think that all makes sense when you know the context of the movie, but it was hard to get that context across. I think another thing is reception. Critically, when you look at the Toy Story franchises, the four main Toy Story films have scored a 97% or above on Rotten Tomatoes. Those were critically beloved films. Lightyear currently has a 76%, which is fine, but certainly not anywhere near the other Toy Story films. It sits basically right where The Good Dinosaur currently sits, a couple percentage points ahead of the first Cars movie. The audience gave the movie an A- cinema score, which is, you know, pretty good. It's the same thing that Jurassic World Dominion got. There's some room for improvement, and the reaction to the other Toy Story movies and many of the other Pixar movies have been above that level. So I think part of it is just the movie wasn't received as well as other Pixar movies and definitely other Toy Story movies. I don't think you can ignore the role as well of the economy in this. Things aren't going great here uh, domestically here in the United States. There's inflation, there's a possible recession, and when you look at the summer so far, you had Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that kicked off the summer. You've had Top Gun Maverick, which has been a big hit. Jurassic World Dominion just last week was a big hit. It may be that there were a lot of people that either can't afford to go to, to, go to the movies right now or have already spent their movie budget for this month uh, on one or two or three of the other releases that have already come out. Maybe they're looking at the schedule and saying, well, I want to go see this one later and I have to save a little bit because of the economy and knowing that this movie is going to streaming said you know what I'll sit this one out in theaters speaking of streaming I think that was another thing that had an impact here this is the first Pixar film to come out theatrically since onward in 2020 Turning Red Soul Luca all of those movies went straight to Disney Plus and when you look at the theatrical run onwards was cut short by the pandemic the last movie to have a full uninterrupted theatrical run was Toy Story 4 back three years ago in the summer of 2019. So I think part of it may be that the audience is just accustomed to knowing that they're going to see these films on Disney+, Plus, that the theatrical window is going to be much shorter than they're used to seeing. And even when you look at a movie like Encanto, which is 
a, a hugely successful movie, very popular film. It did not light the box office on fire. It made less than $100 million uh, domestically at the box office, and it really caught on when it hit Disney+. Plus. So part of it may be that Disney has now accustomed their fan base, especially with their animated films, to wait and see them streaming on Disney+. Plus. They've talked about the fact that they are streaming forward, that that's where their focus has been for the last few years. Well, they may have gotten their wish, probably much to the dismay of a lot of people over at Pixar, and perhaps a few at Disney as well. And then there is a portion I think that you have to acknowledge is politics. I think it would be naive to ignore the fact that Disney as a company is in the eye of a political firestorm, largely due to events that happened having nothing to do with the movie division earlier this year. Now, I don't think that the loudest voices are the ones that represent the majority of people out there. And I've said this before about social media. It's kind of an outsized look at, uh, you know, what people are thinking. But I do think that there are definitely some people who skipped this movie in theaters, probably because they saw the coverage that this movie was generating. And, you know, Disney, you can't really feel sorry for them because they are one of the most successful uh, corporations in the world right now. There's really no way for them to go at this point. Earlier this year, you had legislation in Florida that Disney didn't say anything about. They heard from a lot of people on one side saying to speak out against the legislation. They spoke out against the legislation, and then that created a political firestorm from the other side. Here with Lightyear, you had a same-sex kiss that at one point was apparently cut from the movie. There was a loud outcry uh, from one side saying to put the kiss back in, but then you put the kiss back in, and you get an equally loud cry from the other side over its inclusion. I do have my own thoughts about the importance of of inclusion in all sorts of movies, but putting that aside and really just looking at this from an analyst's angle, it's been very interesting to see how Disney keeps getting roped further and further into these controversies, uh, oftentimes by trying to distance themselves from them. But the fact of the matter is that as of now, every single thing that Disney does is going to be a political lightning rod. And it's somebody who covers entertainment largely from what I think is a non-political angle, it gets pretty exhausting because there are points where I just want to talk about the quality of the movie and not necessarily about these other things that are swirling around it or what I thought about this episode of this Disney Plus show without having to talk about the other things that people are bringing into it. But that's just where we are right now. So a very interesting time for Disney. I think Lightyear was a confluence of events. It kind of reminds me of what happened with Solo, a Star Wars story, which is you have a hugely successful franchise. You decide to do a spinoff of one of the lead characters with a different actor playing the character because it's a different take, and the audience largely says that they're not interested. I think it has a lot more to do with the failure of Solo and those reasons than with anything that's happening in the current political environment, but hey, that's just my opinion. Kind of buried down there in third place is, I think, the story of the summer as far as the box office goes. Top Gun Maverick, which had a fourth weekend of $44 million. It had a real shot of bumping Lightyear down to third place. A fifth 15% drop from last week. You do not see that. You don't really see that in any season, but you especially don't see that in the hyper-competitive summer movie season. And we're going to be talking about Top Gun Maverick several other times throughout this episode. But just for comparison here, this was Top Gun Maverick's fourth weekend in wide release. When you look at that in comparison with other movies in their fourth weekends in wide release, and again, I'm specifying wide weekends because American Sniper technically went wide in in its fourth weekend. So it would top the list here, but it doesn't quite seem like a apples to apples fair comparison. So these are movies that were in their fourth wide weekend 
Top Gun Maverick only trails Avatar. Avatar made $50.3 million in its fourth weekend. Top Gun Maverick, $44 million. And when you're talking box office, the line second only to Avatar usually means you're doing something pretty good because Top Gun Maverick had a second weekend that ranks above Star Wars The Force Awakens, ranks above Black Panther, ranks above The Avengers. Yes, you could say, well, you know, with inflation, uh, it would be below those movies. But Star Wars The Force Awakens, its fourth weekend was sometime in January. Black Panther was sometime in March. Those were not peak seasons necessarily, not as much competition, whereas Top Gun Maverick faces a lot of competition. Again, you're never going to come up with an exact one-to-one comparison. The point of the matter is that Top Gun Maverick continues to be a phenomenon. We checked last week uh, for the most attended Tom Cruise film using the bits, butts, and the seats index. It is now, according to my estimates, up to number two, right behind Top Gun. It seems inevitable at this point that Top Gun Maverick is going to become the most attended Tom Cruise film ever domestically. It now ranks above Mission Impossible 2, the first Mission Impossible, and Rain Man. It is very close to uh, getting over the top with Top Gun, and that's with an estimated average uh, ticket price of $9.75. Even if you want to quote, some people have said, well, where'd you get that $9.75 figure from? That's just an estimate based on historic figures with how ticket prices are going up. Even if you want to bump that up to $10, $10.15, $10.25, at a certain point, Top Gun Maverick, it doesn't matter. By whatever metric, it's going to be Tom Cruise's most successful film. We'll have a little bit more to talk about with Top Gun Maverick uh, later on in the show. Looking at the rest of the top five, the Bob's Burgers movies rounded out the top five with $1.1 million. But I also want to take a moment to address something that I forgot last weekend. Everything Everywhere All at Once, by the way, is still in the top 10. It's still doing uh, great on the domestic front. Uh, I mentioned a a few weeks ago that it has now become the highest grossing film in the history of A24 domestically. These are the updated figures. It's now at almost $65 million. Uh, It had just edged out Uncut Gems when we talked about it a few weeks ago. It's now well ahead of Uncut Gems. It has now also become the highest grossing film in A24's history worldwide. It's now at $84.2 million, topping my beloved Hereditary, but that's okay because I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is also a pretty rad film. So there you have it. Much like with Top Gun Maverick, you can now say that Everything Everywhere All at Once is A24's most successful film domestically, worldwide, uh, you name it. So congratulations to that movie. It's been a remarkable run, also in the heart of the summer box office season. Before we move on, I want to thank one of my sponsors for this week, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. You've been hearing about AG1 on the show for quite some time now, and I started taking it because I'm looking to support better gut health this year and an overall better me. But what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And taking AG1 is super simple. I can either put a scoop right into a cup of water or mix it into a shake that I'm making at home. Either way, it's a quick and tasty way for me to start the day off right and make sure I'm supporting not only my gut health, but my immune system, my recovery and focus, and so much more. AG1 is lifestyle friendly and contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs or artificial anything. And if you don't take a multivitamin or have been trying to figure out which one to take, AG1 is also a great choice because it is full of high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Athletic Greens as a company also cares about the world. They are a climate neutral certified company and for every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the United States. 
And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com dan. Again, that is athleticgreens.com dan, D-A-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. One thing that was a little bit below expectations other than Lightyear, and they're kind of tied to that, is this road to recovery. If Lightyear had performed as expected, we should have stayed above the box office average for 2015 through 2019. But because Lightyear was a box office, uh, I mean, it's yet to say whether it's a box office disappointment. We'll see how it grosses uh, in the coming weeks, but definitely a softer than expected box office opening. We dip back down below that average. We'll see if we can recover uh, later on in the summer. Although that line does move up, we've got Thor Love and Thunder coming up in a couple weeks, so we'll see if we can make up some ground there. Uh, but dipping down below the average line still, though, when you look at where we are now compared to last summer, which is that orange line there, I mean, that is a massive gulf. We were barely uh, getting above $100 million average. We're now well over $150 million. Last weekend, we were over $200 million. So uh, really a huge box office recovery for this summer. But one thing that I actually wanted to look at when we talk about the impact of one of these movies uh, when it doesn't open well, this was something I actually noticed in my local market over the past weekend, the saturation that Lightyear had. And now you see a movie that's not opening well. You can imagine there are now a lot of theaters that are not selling a lot of tickets. And that's also edging out movies that potentially could sell more tickets. So I decided to look at my local marketplace and show you just how kind of monopolized uh, two or three films can make a marketplace, even though there are so many great options out there. So this is my local marketplace. These were movie times that were done for yesterday, Monday, the 20th of June. So in my local marketplace, we have six theaters. There are 72 screens available at those six theaters. And yesterday, there were 207 available showtimes across all of those theaters. And you can see Lightyear by far had the most showtimes. Well, not by far, but definitely had the most showtimes of anything. 66 out of 207 showtimes yesterday in my local market were devoted to Lightyear. Jurassic World Dominion was right behind with 62 out of an available 207 showtimes. And then Top Gun Maverick still with the commanding 45 showtimes. So you see 32% Lightyear, 30% Jurassic World Dominion, 22% Top Gun Maverick. Out of 207 showtimes in my market, 84% of them were taken up by just three movies. And I think that that's a challenge that a lot of filmgoers have nowadays. There are so many interesting options for movies to see, but even in a market, I mean, six theaters, 72 screens, uh, for a mid-sized market like the one that I live in, that's pretty good. We're not in Los Angeles, we're not in New York, but we certainly have options. And yet 84% of the showtimes yesterday were devoted to three movies. You see, all other movies made up just 16% of the showtimes. There were only 34 showtimes to go around, and that encompassed Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Brian and Charles, which is a great movie, was only playing at one theater here out of six. Everything Everywhere All at Once also still only playing at one theater. There was a selection of Indian films that were only playing at one theater. The Bob's Burgers movie, Downton Abbey 2, and then Wayward and Block Party, which were also uh, a few available screening times yesterday. Those are all fighting for that less than 20% of available showtimes for those three big movies on the block. So anyway, that's a kind of an interesting look at my local market, and I may continue to look at this and see if the trend changes over time. 
Let's look at the overall market share. So these are for the different studios for all tickets sold year to date since January 1, 2022. And you see that Universal, based off of Jurassic World Dominion's continued strong performance, picks up 3% of the market share uh, this past week. The total box office for 2022 is now $3.3 billion. Disney Fox, despite the fact that Lightyear opened, does not have a market share change at all. It remains at 17%, not gaining anything off of Lightyear's opening. Paramount remains at 27%. The lost ground comes from Warner Brothers, which lost 1% market share, Sony, which lost 1% market share, and then the All Others Slice, which lost 1% market share. It's now down into the single digits, 9% for the year, 91% of the box office tickets sold by the five major studios. Uh, but you know, certainly not something that I would have expected. You have a Pixar film open and Disney Fox doesn't lose ground, but market share wise also doesn't gain any ground off of that opening. Universal continuing to be the big winner off the performance of Jurassic World Dominion. Let's look at the summer box office season and we have a new number one. Top Gun Maverick is now the number one movie of the summer with $466.1 million. It's not just going to half a billion domestic. It's going to keep climbing. Just a remarkable performance. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness crosses $400 million, by the way. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. But it's in the number two position. Jurassic World Dominion uh, approaching $250 million is at number three. Lightyear enters the chart at number four with its $50.5 million debut. Downton Abbey, A New Era moves down one slot to number five. The Bob's Burgers movie moves down one spot to number six. Firestarter moves down one spot to number seven. Men drops down one slot to number eight. Family Camp drops down one spot to number nine. And then we have one last slot that is going to be filled this week, uh, probably by one or two of the new releases. We're going to start seeing movies that are going to drop off of this list. But some big changes at the summer box office. And when we look at my predictions, currently I, I have all four movies that are still alive. Uh, Doctor Strange, Jurassic World, Top Gun, and Lightyear all in the top 10, although I don't think that's a huge stretch. I predicted Lightyear to be the number four movie of the summer. I don't even think it's going to do that well. Uh, but right now it is locked into where I predicted it. I think it's going to drop over time. You see, I predicted Doctor Strange to be the summer's number one movie it will not be it will be at least number two top gun maverick i predicted to be the fifth highest grossing movie of the summer uh, right now it's number one it's hard for me to think that there would be another movie that tops it but you'd never know and then i picked jurassic world dominion to be the number two movie of the summer it is currently number three if it keeps on its track that could actually be an okay prediction because i could see it wrestling with dr strange if it ends up in that low 400 million range which is where it is projected if it keeps track with jurassic world fallen kingdom when we look at the per theater averages for the past weekend, Jurassic World Dominion remains on top with $12,489 per theater in all of the nearly 4,700 theaters that it played. Lightyear's at number two with $11,887 in just over 4,200 theaters. And then Top Gun Maverick with almost $11,000, $10,905 in just over 4,000 theaters. We talk a lot about Lightyear and market and expectations, et cetera. The good news is if you're a theater owner, you're probably pretty happy regardless because you had three movies playing in ultra wide release that all averaged over $10,000 per theater. So regardless of what it means for Disney or what it means for Pixar, it's been a great summer so far for theater owners because they've been seeing a lot of people coming through their doors. At number three is Official Competition, which is a comedy starring Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz that played the Venice Film Festival last year. It made $8,500 in just four theaters. And then at number five in 
three theaters is the film Poser, which made $4,000 per theater. That is a movie out of the Tribeca Film Festival last year. When we look at the top five films in limited release, also known as the specialty box office, these are movies in 1,000 theaters or fewer. I talked about Brian and Charles. It is one of my favorite movies this year. I was very lucky to see it virtually uh, at the Sundance Film Festival. It was playing in 279 theaters. Not a great per theater average, but enough to be number one in limited release with $198,000. At number two, a film from India, Virata Parvam, in 110 theaters with $165,000. David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future lost a lot of its theaters in its third week, but was still able to bring in $107,000. Watcher, in its third week, also lost a lot of theaters, but banked $95,000. And The Phantom of the Open actually had an expansion opening up to almost 100 theaters with an $81,000 total. And we actually had some changes as far as the 2022 limited release chart. It was pretty static for a while. We see that BTS Permission to Dance remains number one. KGF Chapter 2 remains number three, followed by Cyrano and The Worst Person in the World. At number five is the portion of Everything Everywhere All at Once is released where it was playing in 1,000 theaters or fewer, but hot on its trail, it may very well pass it by next weekend, is David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. It jumps three spots to number six. That drops Parallel Mothers down one spot umma down one spot drive my car down one spot and then at number 10 dropping rather shyam off the list is the film watcher which has now grossed over 1.8 million dollars in limited release taking our focus out of the domestic marketplace let's see what the top five films internationally were so these are all markets except for the domestic market jurassic world dominion banked another 77.3 million dollars it had a strong second weekend in china top gun maverick at number two with another 39. $7 million, followed by Lightyear, which internationally comes in third place with $34.6 million. The Witch Part 2, the other one, with $9.9 million. This is a movie out of South Korea. They've had a great year uh, in South Korea as far as box office goes. We've seen so many movies that have come out of that market on the international charts. This movie was directed by Park Hoon Jung, who wrote 2010's I Saw the Devil. And can I just say, I love the subtitle of the other one for the second part of a movie, The Witch Part 2, The Other One. When I was putting the show together, I actually spent far too much time sitting here trying to think, well, what sequels would have been great if you had replaced their actual subtitle with The Other One? And for me, it was Terminator 2. If you had changed it from Terminator 2 Judgment Day to Terminator 2, The Other One, or this year's Scream. If you could have just added Scream, the other one, because that's how you have to describe it anyway. It's like there's the original Scream, and then there's this year's Scream. You know, the other one. This is why it takes me so long to do the show. I, I get distracted thinking about things like this. What subtitle for a sequel do you think would have been best replaced by the other one? Let me know down in the comments below. Rounding out the top five internationally, another film from South Korea, The Roundup, which brought in $5.4 million. So when you take the international marketplace, you combine it with the domestic marketplace, we get our top five movies worldwide. Jurassic World Dominion remains number one with $135.9 million. Lightyear is able to, to come in second place worldwide because of its domestic debut with $85.1 million, although Top Gun Maverick is right behind it with $83.7 million. Then we have The Witch Part 2, the other one at 9.9 million and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness at just under 7 million dollars in fifth place. I mentioned Top Gun Maverick and its continued phenomenal performance. It's not just domestically, it's also worldwide. We said this was probably going to happen last week, but it has now become Tom Cruise's highest grossing film worldwide. It has now earned 885.1 
million dollars worldwide. It seems almost destined to cross 1 billion, especially because it is yet to open, I believe, in South Korea, which is a big market, as we've seen already this year. Mission Impossible Fallout now drops to number two. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol to number three. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation to number four. And War of the Worlds to number five. So Tom Cruise is having a pretty good summer. He's had his number one hit domestically. He now has his number one hit worldwide. And he's soon to be in the first ever movie uh, that he starred in to cross $1 billion worldwide. So it's, it is a Top Gun summer. I, I honestly didn't see it coming. I've got to be honest. I knew that the hype on this movie was big coming in. I never would have imagined it doing so well, uh, and yet it has. To keep this Top Gun train rolling, let's look at the 2022 domestic box office. It is now the number one movie of the year with $466.1 million. It drops Doctor Strange down to number two. I mentioned Doctor Strange had crossed $400 million. It is now the 10th MCU film to cross $400 million domestically. It's looking likely to settle right around Captain Marvel's gross, uh, topping the gross of Captain America Civil War and Iron Man 3. Oh, what a flop, am I right, guys? At number three is The Batman with $369.3 million. Jurassic World Dominion jumps up two spots to number four at just under $250 million. That bumps Sonic the Hedgehog down one spot to number five. Uncharted down one spot to number six. And then seven through ten remain unchanged. The Lost City at number seven. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore at number eight. Right behind it, looking to probably sneak up on that gross if it can, is The Bad Guys at number nine. And then Scream, the other one, at number 10 with $81.6 million. When we look at the worldwide charts, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is now at $943.1 million. So I don't think it's going to quite make a billion, but it's going to settle in right around $950 million. Top Gun Maverick is at number two for now with $887.5 million. That drops the Batman down one spot with $770.3 million. The Bat Out Late Chong Jin 2 remains at number four, but not for long because it is about to be overtaken by Jurassic World Dominion. It makes a big jump up four spots to number five with $624.7 million worldwide. It could possibly be steaming towards $1 billion. We'll have to see. Uncharted drops down one spot to number six. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore drops down one spot to number seven. And Sonic the Hedgehog drops down one spot to number eight. Those three movies all clustered together right around $400 million. Too Cool to Kill drops down one spot to number nine. And The Bad Guys remains at number 10. Looking at the worldwide 365-day chart, so if you were to take today, wind the calendar back 365 days, these are the top 10 movies over that period of time. Spider-Man No Way Home remains number one with $1.9 billion after 186 days on the chart. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness moves up one spot to number two after 40 days on the chart. That knocks the battle at Lake Shang-Jin down one. It has held that number two spot for quite some time after Spider-Man No Way Home took over number one. It's now at number three with $911 million. Top Gun Maverick moves up two spots at $887.5 million. At number four, that drops No Time to Die down one spot to number five, 264 days on the chart for the latest 007 film. The Batman gets dropped down one spot to number six. The Bat Out Lake Chung Jin 2 remains at number seven. Jurassic World Dominion, though, jumps under the chart at number eight. Today is its first day on the chart. Will it make it a full calendar year? Only time will tell. Venom Let There Be Carnage drops down one spot to number nine. And then the old man on the chart, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's been on this chart longer than any other movie at 287 days. It looks unlikely, though, to complete that 365-day journey. Despite a $432.2 million gross, there are any number of movies this summer that look to be knocking Shang-Chi off of this chart.
We have so much more to get to, but before we do that, I also want to thank another one of my sponsors this week, Storyblocks, which has a great library of video clips, music, After Effects projects, you name it, at a price you can afford to make everything you do that much more professional. Storyblocks has an ever-growing library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life, and it is always growing and demand-driven. All of these assets are also royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. And the Storyblocks Unlimited All Access Plan gives you unlimited downloads for the over 1 million plus assets in their library, so you can find the perfect fit, create more, and spend less without sacrificing quality. Storyblocks has so many different things to go into, like all of these charts animations. I mean, I could just throw these anywhere into this show, and it's, well, this is pretty much what the inside of my brain looks like uh, every month. Monday when I'm doing the show. This is kind of like a sneak peek of being John Malkovich into Dan's brain. I've also been going into their After Effects projects lately and found a great one for text. I mean, you know, I, I could do some basic graphics, but nothing on the level that you can find on Storyblocks. This is a preview of a text screen that I'm doing for my Picard Season 2 review, which is slowly turning into an opus that's driving me mad. And you can find out more right now by heading over to storyblocks.com slash Dan. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash Dan, D-A-N, to check out their library and find the plan that's right for you. Before we look at what people are streaming at home, I always like to take a look back at a weekend in box office past, and we are going back 40 years to the legendary summer of 1982. It is a summer that saw the release of so many classic films, it's hard to believe. Uh, we just went to see The Thing. Uh, I'd never seen it on a big screen before. We, there was a Fathom event. Gotta be honest, uh, they didn't quite get the aspect ratio right, which is kind of disappointing, you know, when you're charging people to see the movie, but, you know, I guess it is what it is. Uh, but anyway, this doesn't include The Thing, which wasn't a top five movie uh, anyway. This is, however, the weekend from June 11th through the 13th, 1982, the 24th weekend of the year. It saw the opening of E.T., the extraterrestrial. I mean, if you're talking about legs, one of the movies with the best legs ever. It was a completely different release strategy, but open to $11.8 million. At number two in its second week was Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan with $9.4 million, then Rocky III in its third week with $8.2 million, then in its second week, the original Poltergeist with $5.3 million, and then opening in fifth place was Grease II with $4.6 million. But it is so crazy to think about the fact that on like June 12th, 1982, if I were around, I was not yet alive, but if I were around and had the money in my pocket to go to a theater, I could have gone to see for the first time in a first-run theater as a triple feature, E.T., Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and Poltergeist, and maybe even topped it off with Rocky Three. That's pretty insane. And that summer of 1982, I know that uh, I think my good friend Scott Nance is producing a documentary uh, about it right now. Uh, look up sometime just the murderer's row of movies that came out that summer. It's pretty amazing. Well, as we always do before we wrap up, let's see what people are watching at home through various streaming services, and we'll start with iTunes. Uncharted returns to the top of the chart. It's at number one 
followed by Morbius, which has morbed its way to number two on the iTunes chart. That's a very appropriate placement. Number two, uh, available to buy or rent. Everything Everywhere All at Once, available for purchase at number three. Father Stew, a new addition to the chart at number four, available for purchase and rental. Followed by Downton Abbey, a new area, still available only for purchase and premium video on demand. The Lost City, available for purchase. Dog, returning to the chart at number seven, available for purchase and rental. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number eight. Spider-Man No Way Home at number nine. And also being added to the chart is The Bad Guys, now available for purchase and premium video on demand. It's been a big few weeks for Netflix with the debut of the first volume of Stranger Things 4. We're coming up, uh, I think, what, in a couple weeks here on the release of the second volume, which is going to bump that show back up the charts. Uh, it's still on the top 10. As a matter of fact, there are still several Stranger Things shows on the top 10, but it has seeded the number one slot for the week of June 6th through the 12th. As far as the potential finished views number, aka my Merle metric hustle with 84.5 million hours watched is number one with a PFV of 42.9, meaning that 42.9 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing that movie. A big win for the Sandman there. Interceptor, the Netflix movie is at number two with a PFV of 24.9. Then we see Stranger Things 4, which adds 159,240,000 hours watched with a PFV of 17.3. The Netflix limited series, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, debuts on the charts at number four with a PFV of 9.7. Then we have the original first season of Stranger Things at number five with a PFV of 7.5, followed by the debut of season six of Peaky Blinders with a PFV of 7.4, then Stranger Things 2 at 6.6. The Netflix original film Chicken Hair and the Hamster of Darkness debuts at number eight with a PFV of 6.5. Right behind it is Stranger Things 3 with a PFV of 6.4. And then rounding out the top 10 is The Perfect Mother season one a Netflix original series with a PFV of 5.0. Stranger Things 4 is moving up the Netflix overall charts. When we look at the most watched 2022 Netflix programs, you see The Adam Project remains number one, followed by Bridgerton Season 2 with a PFV of 92.3, The Tender Swindler with a PFV of 90.6, and Senior Year with a PFV of 86.9. But Stranger Things has moved up the chart. It is now at number five with a PFV of 84.9. So right behind Senior Year with two final episodes still to come, which are both feature length. So it is really going to move up that chart. That moves Ozark season four down one on the chart to number six, followed by 365 days this day, inventing Anna at number eight through my window at number nine. And then all of us are dead season one at number 10. Then when we begin looking at the most watched Netflix programs since they began making all of these data points available, we see the number one most watched Netflix program is still Squid Game Season 1 with a PFE of 278.3, followed by Red Notice with a PFE of 230.7, Don't Look Up at number 3, The Adam Project at number 4, The Unforgivable at number 5, Money Heist Part 5 at number 6, Bridgerton Season 2 at number 7, The Tender Swindler at number 8, Senior Year at number 9, but Stranger Things 4 now number 10 overall on the most watched Netflix program since last June 28th when these charts made their debut and again it is going to keep moving up that chart so Stranger Things 4 not only one of the most watched Netflix programs of 2022 but one of the most watched Netflix programs of the last year plus dropping Ozark season 4 off the list and finally let's look at one of the newer charts 
which involves the numbers that Nielsen has made available for streaming. Now, this comes with a couple of caveats. There's about a month delay. This is for the week of May 16th through May 22nd. It also doesn't include data from services, including HBO Max, Paramount Plus, and others. Hopefully, they will begin to uh, share that data soon. At number one, looking at the most watched streaming movies is Senior Year with 12.7 million hours watched. And then we have the debut of Chippendale Rescue Rangers on Disney+. Plus. You see how it measures up against some of these Netflix originals with 9.9 million hours watched. That beat the debut of A Perfect Pairing on Netflix with 7.3 million hours watched. Then we have Encanto, which is a perennial favorite here on this chart at number four. Netflix is Our Father at number five. Turning Red on Disney Plus at number six. Borrego on Netflix at 4.1 million hours watched at number seven. Operation Mincemeat at number eight. Moana on Disney Plus at number nine. And Toscana on Netflix rounding out the chart at number 10 with 2.8 million hours watched. And finally, the most watched streaming series for the week of May 16th through May 22nd in the U.S. The Lincoln Lawyer from Netflix at number one with 30.8 million hours watched, followed by Ozark with 18 million hours. Coco Melon on Netflix at number three with 11.3 million. Then NCIS and Criminal Minds, two big CBS dramas that your grandparents are watching at home. The Circle at number six on Netflix with 7.7 million hours watched, followed by Outlander, Grace and Frankie, and Working Moms at number seven, eight, nine and the debut of wrong side of the tracks on netflix at number 10 and that does it for this week on charts with dan we have a big week coming up starting with the opening of baz Luhrmann's elvis starring austin butler i have my review of that film coming out right here on this channel later today so stay tuned for that there's also the debut of one of my most anticipated movies of the summer, The Black Phone. I'll have a review for that movie out on Thursday. Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe is also making its streaming debut on Paramount Plus on Thursday, so I may have to definitely watch that and see if I can do a review for it. And then in limited release, I won't get a chance to see this for a little while, but Marcel the Shell with Shoes On from A24 based on the web series is opening in just a very few theaters this upcoming weekend. I also finally got a chance to watch either Triple R or RRR, however you choose to pronounce it, uh, from India this past week. And it is a movie that I definitely want to talk a lot about. So if I have time this week, I'm going to try to get a review done. If not, maybe next week. I definitely want to talk about it because it is one of the most unique movie-going experiences, even though I watched it in my living room, that I've had in quite some time. I, I do wish I'd had a chance to catch it uh, in the brief window that it was playing here. Uh, it did not open the re-expansion anywhere near uh, my market. Uh, another one of those things, if they had the screens for it, uh, but they didn't. Uh, anyway, I would love to share my thoughts on that, so stay tuned for that. A whole lot going on. We're just in the heart of the movie season. Obi-Wan Kenobi, also the finale, is coming up this week. You can see my review early tomorrow morning for that. Uh, so much to do, but hey, it's a good problem to have, right? Better than where I was this time in 2020, which is kind of tap dancing and figuring out what to do here on the channel. If you want to see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Merle. And of course, you can subscribe here on the channel and also hit that little bell icon because it'll actually tell you when I upload uh, new videos instead of just waiting for that subscription box to load or I don't know. I don't know how you know when your videos are coming out. Thank you so much for watching. I'll be back later this week with even more. But until then, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye.